might be thinking, what on earth are you guys doing up there? We're going to have, um, before we leave you for a little while, we're going to have a bit of a family chat. How's that sound? <laughs> when my kids were growing up, we don't do it that much these days, but Julie had this famous thing called a family meeting. And if things weren't going right in the house, she would call a family meeting and we'd all know about it. <laughs> but this is not because things aren't going right in this place. This is because we've been talking about the one another's and each other's, if you remember. I've got it up on the screen. I think there's still some copies out there. But we've been talking about that for the last few weeks and, and talking about the importance of relationships. And so we thought we'd finish this series with a bit of a chat about how to make relationships work. Some really practical and simple keys to how church relationships can work together. Does that make sense? Because churches can be a great blessing, but they can also be the source of some of our biggest tribulations. Anyone agree? You've been there, done that? It's there, wherever there's people, there's issues. <laughs> issues. Uh, and uh, so not that we're experts on no, relationships. I was just about to throw that in that we, there's probably some of you out there that know <laughs> we're not experts at this at all, but we've just hopefully can offer something that we've found in Scripture and it's a challenge to us also. We're, we're speaking to us. Yes, I've been reminded of it as I prepared. But uh, the reality is, uh, as we talk about here a lot, church is all about relationships. They, this church was founded on that factor. Uh, we're a church, we're loving God, loving each other and loving the community we count in count loving the community we live in counts for everything. Uh, and so um, we want to be relationships at the f- foremost. It's a, not about programs. So it's not about Sunday services. It's not about pop-up kitchen. It's not about youth. It's not about kids' church. Those programs are great, but they only are there to facilitate relationship. That's what they're about. It's, and obviously our relationship with God, but also our relationship with each other. And so this is really important for us to understand. And um, I, love, I love the way uh, Eugene Peterson says it in the Message Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, 24, says the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Isn't that cool? Your body is an example. So every time you can look at your body, you can think that teaches me a little bit on how I should relate to others. And so I'm gonna, we're going to share some principles from this idea. Very simple. It's no, not rocket science. And hopefully you'll take something from it. As I said, it, it reminded me of some important things as I was preparing. But uh, we just hope that whatever place you're in at the moment, that it will help enhance your relationships, strengthen your relationships, and, and uh, maybe it will shine some light on some lacks or some deficiencies that you go, God, I need help in that and uh, help me to grow in that and how we can help each other grow in that as well. Is that cool? All right. So I get to do number one. Is that right? Do you want to say anything? You can say something. Uh, I don't have anything to say. (laughs) It's a world first. you, You guys are all awesome. Oh, my goodness. That's so not true. 
Ask Emma, Jack, and Benito what the, what the truth is, and you'll discover. Well, number one, <laughs> number one is key thing for relationships is to learn to listen. Ooh. One James one nineteen says, "Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters." You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. As the old saying goes, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use them in that proportion. Isn't that right? So listen twice as much as you speak. This is critical for healthy relationships, that we learn a listening habit, that we don't just speak uh, for the sake of speaking, but we actually listen to others. I love what John MacArthur says. He says, frankly, good listeners make good company. Good listeners make good friends. Good listeners make good learners. And good listeners then make good teachers. Good listeners make good counsellors. On the other hand, poor listeners who only want to hear themselves talk and even while forced to listen are only planning what they are going to say. Anyone thought of that? Anyone been in that place? As soon (laughs) as you take a breath, are usually cheated out of the best relationships in life. I know I've done that. I know you find that hard to believe, but there's times you guys have been talking to me and I've been trying to think of how I'm going to respond rather than listen to what you're actually saying. And the other week, the women um, had a retreat and they had Dr. Duncan McKellar come along and uh, he, he talked about the importance of being story-informed. Story-informed basically means that the importance of actually listening to other people's stories, actually hearing other people's stories if you really want to be able to to help them and to support them and, and to, to strengthen your relationships with them. Because when we listen to other people's stories, we discover often that they aren't that different from us, that they struggle with the same insecurities and difficulties. This is why things, and you can talk to Bill Mill about this if you, if you want, but things like AA are so powerful. The, the program is so powerful is because someone tells their story and everyone else has to be quiet and listen and actually hear what they're saying. And so listening is so, so critical. And I, I want to share with you just three simple things on why listening is so important. Number one, listening builds trust. If you learn to listen to other people and they know that you're listening to them, then that will build trust in your relationships. They know that you're someone they can go to to talk to when they're in difficult times. Listening also, very simply, but and it might sound like common sense, but sometimes common sense isn't that common. Is that right? But that listening reduces misunderstanding. When we actually listen to someone. Now, I've done this. Like, I've made... Uh, assumptions of what people are like by just looking at them and even just hearing how they speak and I think, oh, that's, they're that sort of person. And I've, I've 
I stand up here and tell you that honestly because I've done that. And then when I actually listen to them, I discover that they're not actually what I thought they were. Uh, anyone relate? Yes? Um, and so it's really important that we, to reduce misunderstanding, to reduce that horrible thing of assumption uh, where we judge people by our own issues, uh, that, that we learn to listen. And the last thing there is listening encourages empathy. So empathy, the definition is the capacity to understand and feel what another person is experiencing from their frame of reference. That is the capacity to place oneself in another person's position. Some people are naturally gifted in empathy, like myself. Others are not as naturally gifted in empathy, like Julie. It's really hard to be empathetic. I'm sorry. I find it hard. I need God. <laughs> I think I'm getting better. But. Slowly. Um. <laughs> I'm being honest. Being Maybe honest. it will help you if you are actually gone, actually, I find it hard. And then you ask God to help you and he, he helps. Yeah. Like, and empathy is that idea of, of actually putting yourself in another person's shoes and actually feeling what they feel. And, and so rather than, than just thinking of how can I help this person and how can I fix their problem, I've, I know what the solution is to their problem. They need to do this, this and this. Uh, but rather than just presenting a solution, actually stopping and saying, no, I need to actually feel what they're feeling. I need to experience their grief. I need to experience their pain. I need to allow myself to actually feel alongside them uh, and not, not about giving them an answer. Because at the end of the day, listening is an uh, amazing tool to create an environment in someone's life to help them grow closer to God. When you listen to someone, they feel valued. They feel like they, they actually matter and they feel important. And then that can lead to the pathway of them understanding that God is also listening to them and is interested in them and wants to know what's going on in their life. So I'd, let me share just quickly, nothing overwhelming, but to help improve your listening skills, when you're talking to someone, number one, Ask yourself the question is when you before you start the conversation is I make sure I am interested in what they have to say. So am I actually like I want to hear what they have to say. So I'm not going to talk about myself. I'm going to ask them an open-ended question about how they are going. So things like rather than go, have you had a good week? Yes, no, that's not a good idea. Like rather, how's your week been? Like, what have you been up to this week? What's been going on in your life this week? Those sort of open-ended questions. And, body, you know, body language is the main way we communicate. You know, only less than 10% of our language is verbal. Or, or of our communication is verbal. Um, the other 90% is things like eye contact, body language, your tone of your voice communicates a lot. And so learning to actually pay attention to people. And, and, you know, this can be hard, but when you're talking to someone, actually looking at them and, and get making eye contact with them 
is a good way to let them know Which you're listening. Which means putting down your phone. That's right. Whoa. Hallelujah. <laughs> and for actually paying attention, everyone knows, and everyone's probably done it, when you've been in those moments where you someone's talking to you, but they're like oh, looking around and or just not paying attention, or you know their mind is somewhere else. It's not going to be helpful to build trust, empathy, and reduce misunderstandings, is it? You need to give people your attention. So the number one way our body tells us to have relationships is the simple fact that God gave us two ears and one mouth and that we're to use them like that. Is it really interesting that verse in James, it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then slow to get angry. Almost implies that if we listen to someone, our chances of getting angry with them are a lot less, if that makes sense. I'm going to hand over to Julie for number two. Number two is it's not about you. And as you've already heard, I struggle to naturally be empathetic. I also struggle with this because seriously, I really want it to be all about me. And I know none of you are like that. But the crux of one anothering is it's not all about you. And there's a lot I could say on this, but I mainly just want to read you some scriptures because they say it all. But I think the really easy way to understand this is that it's all about loving others. It's actually about love. Love is, is the crux of our, how we do relationships. And you all know that. I'm not telling you anything that you don't. But you know, love is a verb. It's a giving action. And when you truly love, it has an effect that changes something changes a situation changes a person even and often changes our own attitude and love like planting anything in a garden takes time to have an effect but that is the essence of one anothering we've been talking about a one anothering not putting someone over there and and othering them like I don't understand them they they're completely different than me that is othering, but one anothering is actually um, showing that person love. And again, the challenging thing is humility is essential to love. Humility is honestly knowing who you are. And I believe it can't be understood, really understood, outside of God, our need for God, and also our need for others. We are all one body we need each other. And when we truly understand that, like really understand that, it's not that hard to choose to love. Um, the first scripture, I'm just going to read these scriptures. You don't need me to explain them to you because it is right there. The first one is Galatians. Will you do the clicker? Oh, good. Thanks, honey. He's so loving. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin you are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path I'd prefer it if it said you who are think you know the answer should just tell that person and they should listen to you and they ought to do it but it doesn't say that gently and humbly 
And be careful, here's where humility comes in, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think that you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Next one, Matthew 7, 12. Here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behaviour. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and the prophets and this is what you get. That is profound. We probably need to write that in our homes or something to remind us. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and you do it for them. And then in Philippians 2, it tells us, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. You don't have to agree with absolutely everything that person thinks or believes, but you have to agree with them. And how? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. There it is again. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. That is hard sometimes. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And that's the incredible thing is this is what Christ had, his, his attitude. 1 Peter 3, 9 um, summing up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you, no exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. And I just want to read 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. And you could probably all quote it, but it's really hard to actually live this out. So I just want to r remind you again, because this shows clearly that it's not about y you. It's about others. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything. Is that really in the Bible? Trust God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back but keeps going to the end. Embrace humility. Honest appraisal of ourselves. Love others the way you love yourself. Wow. It's the incredible example of that is God himself. That's how he loves us. 
And then he asks us to love one another as I have loved you. That's the law of Christ. And so as Christians, if we say we're followers of Jesus, this is our challenge, is God help us to do this. And that's the incredible thing is you look at that and you read that and you go, that's hard. Well, the incredible thing is the more you draw close to God, the more that becomes evident in your life. That it's you, the Bible says it really simply, you become like the people you hang around. So if you hang around God, you're going to become more like God. His aim for us is that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus. So this, this idea is it's not about us. It's not about us is, is what you read about in the Bible all the time. John the Baptist said, I must decrease. Why? So he must increase. So less of me and more of you, God, in my life. And this is the challenge for us in our relationships, that we come into our relationships that it's not about me, it's about the other person, that I need to be thinking about them. So the third thing that we do to have healthy relationships in the body of Christ is to pursue peace. The reality is Christianity is a movement of peace. Uh, in Ephesians we are encouraged in, in the armour of God to put on the sandals of the gospel of peace. The gospel that Jesus gave the world was a gospel of reconciliation, was a gospel of peace, a gospel that's not about dividing but um, uniting people together. It's a, that's the whole plan that God had for mankind is to bring us together, not to separate us. And if you read Ephesians, you'll read about it over and over again that the common thread is that before Jesus came, only the Jews could know God. But because of Jesus, that wall of hostility is now broken. And now there is no longer outsider and insider. We are all welcome to be insiders through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the great thing. And, and that means that there's neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile. There's neither male or female with God. We're all equal. There's neither uh, rich or poor. There's neither slave or, or owner. There's none of those things. We're all one in God. And that Jesus has reconciled us. This is the gospel of peace. And so it makes sense that as Christians, we're called to make peace. We're called to, to bring peace. That is our mandate. That is the mandate God has called us to, that we would be ministers of reconciliation. Reconciliation with God first, but also reconciliation with each other. How incredible is that? That God would give us that ministry. This is, and this is what he's called us to do as his body, to reconcile not just others to God, but us to one another. So let me, I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures as well. Um, but just to give you an idea of this is what God has called us to. Matthew 5, 9, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. There it is. That's what we're called to. We're called to be, as children of God, we're called to be peacemakers. Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So this is in the early church. 
Paul's giving them a commandment of how to run their services, and he says, we don't want disorder, we don't want any, anyone doing all sorts of stuff. We want to, our services to be led through peace, that there'd that, be a place of peace. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 4, 10 to 12. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. So there's a very simple, lead a quiet life, lead a peaceable life, lead, lead a life that you mind your own business. You don't need to be in everyone else's business. Like you can support and listen, but it's not a, like one of the biggest challenges for people who love to pray for other people is not to just want to get information, but to actually pray for other people. Does that make sense? 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for all, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God wants us as Christians to live peaceful lives. He doesn't want us to be stirring up disruption and difficulties. He wants us through our example of living lives of peace and care and love, to that, that would be an example to the world around us. Hebrews 12, 14. Have I got to that? No. There it is. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and, and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's a really interesting scripture um, because often we, do, we talk about holiness, we think about holiness is the absence of sin. But I like to look at it a bit different way, that holiness is the presence of good. So God is holy because he has no sin in him, but God is holy because he is good. He is love. He is peace. He is all these things. There's nothing bad in him. So if God, the only way we become holy is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. There's no, we can't be holy ourselves. I can't get up in the morning and go, I'm going to be holy, I'm going to be holy, I'm going to try it because I will sin. There's no fact about it. So God has made the way for us to be holy through what Kathy shared about, through the death and sacrifice and his resurrection. This is the incredible thing. So now he's called us to be holy. So what I try to encourage people is rather than focus on not sinning, focus on doing good. That's how we be holy. So so often we focus on, oh, I'm not, I don't want to sin, I don't want to sin, that we just fall into that trap. But if we can encourage ourselves and encourage one another to pursue peace, to pursue goodness, to pursue after love and all of these things, we won't have time to worry about other stuff. We won't have time to worry about sin because we're pursuing holiness. Does that make sense? So next one is James 3.17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven 
is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. This is what God gives us. The wisdom that comes from heaven is all about peace, being peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And then this, I'll finish with this one, uh, Romans 12, 17 to 21, because it sums it up perfectly about how we're to live our lives. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now remember, Paul is writing to the church. He's not writing to the world. He's not writing to non-Christians. He's writing to Christians in this passage. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, oh, wrong one. Oh, thank you. Thank you. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the way we overcome the problems and the difficulties in our relationship is not by repaying someone evil for evil, but by showing them good. Jesus taught about this in Matthew 7, 3 and 5, where he says, Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And the reality is that this is how Jesus teaches us to deal with our relationships. Don't judge others because you yourself will be judged. Don't look at someone else's problems and think I'm all okay because sometimes... They're just reflecting back to us our own problems and that's why we're reacting and pointing it out. But the reality is there will be conflict sometimes. There will be difficulties. Let me say this. You are going to get hurt in the church. People will say things that you don't appreciate. Um, but Jesus also, again, lays down a really simple way to, to deal with conflict when it comes up. And it, as hopefully as we read this, in Matthew 18, you'll see some of these principles in play that we've been talking about. But Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, what's it say? If he listens to you, listening, if we listen to one another, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the ev evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. This is one of the few times Jesus talks about the church. Uh, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as the Gentile, as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, that sounds pretty strong at the end. 
But I, I believe Jesus is saying it really clearly that if we have problems with one another, the thing that we need to, the principle we need to establish is to nip it in the bud. Go and talk to someone straight away. Go and talk to them and say, let them know how you're feeling and what, how it made you feel. So they would understand the, the situation. Uh, you might not believe this, but even as the pastor of the church here, I've had people come and talk to me about that. And, and sometimes it's hard to hear when you, you, someone's saying something that you've said that might have hurt them. But as you listen and you listen to the, the pain that it caused and the difficulty and the challenge, it's, it, it's only, the only thing you can do is say, I want reconciliation. I want peace. I want things to be right. I don't want this to separate us. I want it to unite us. And it's only someone who is stubborn and prideful and refusing to listen that then you get the Jesus goes, at that point, you just treat them like a tax collector. But Jesus' heart is never that. His heart is always talk it through, listen to one another, pursue peace together and, and make that your aim. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'll finish with this last quote. It's one I've used here lots of times before, but it's from Augustine, and he says the important thing for us is in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. So in, in the essentials, be united. Be united about who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He's the way of truth. He's, he's all of those things. Be united in those things. They're unshakable. Stand with, the Bible is the word of God. Stand on those things. But in, in the non-essentials, liberty. So whether your political persuasion, uh, people can believe what they want to believe politically. About social issues, people can believe what they want to believe. They're, they're not critical to your faith. We've seen a lot of that over the last few years. The, the idea of, um, you know, that what the pandemic brought, whether vax or not vax or this or that or mask or no, like, it's not essential. Give each other the freedom to choose how you want. But in the essentials, but in all things, charity. In all things, show each other charity. Show each other understanding. Listen to one another. Love one another and, and care for one another. Enough from me. Just to... To wrap it all up, you know, sometimes that all sounds great, but we all know that that sometimes doing relationships is really, really hard, and we're left with this um, either broken down relationships within church, or this hurt, or sometimes we just feel like we don't know what to do, but yet God. God's command is clear. We need to live in unity and we are a body. So there are no exceptions to that. We are a body. We need each other. And so just quickly and simply, I just want to tell you that you can go to God. Trust God. When we don't know what to do, go to God in prayer and he will work it out. And that applies to relationships also. Just quickly, I just want to read a scripture once again, you know this, but apply it to your relationships. Apply it to church relationships, family, any relationships. In the Philippians, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, including relationships and how to relate. 
Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You know, I'm a nurse. I work in an operating theatre and the human body is incredible. I do not understand so much. I I would probably understand a skerrick. It is beyond my understanding, my body. And you know, God has called the church to be a body. You are not going to understand how the church needs to work. You are not going to understand everything. So you need to let go and go to God because God understands. Sometimes you might feel like, but God, it's not fair. They're saying things that aren't true or they're they're not recognising your call on my life or I don't like doing this or God, every time I come in, I get panicky, whatever it is. You don't have to understand. You have to go to God because God brings what you need and he brings long term what the answer is I just want to read it in the message the same scripture don't fret or worry instead of worrying pray let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers letting God know your concerns before you know it it's a sense of a sense of God's wholeness Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. Learning to let go and give our worries, our burdens to him. I promise you it will change your life. And one really last scripture I promise, don't give up. Don't give up on relationships. Don't give up on being a part of a body because whether we like it or not, that is God's plan for the church. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, again. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth rings out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Yeah, wow. What we're going to do is we're going to just finish by praying. Just praying because, as Julie said, trusting God is, is the ultimate. The older I get, the further in my faith, the, the more I'm beginning to learn that God wants me to trust him. God wants me to put my life in his hands and let go of stuff, as Julie said, let go of stuff and just trust him that he knows what he's doing and let go of some of the things I am holding on to and allow him to create what he wants to create. So we're just going to finish by praying and asking God to help us and asking God to help us build strong and healthy relationships not just in this church, but in his church across the board. So why don't you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. It is so amazing. It's so incredible, the wisdom that comes out of it. But at the same time, it's very confronting and challenging. It's, there's stuff in there that when we look at our lives, it doesn't quite line up as it should. And God... We pray you would fill the gap 
for us, that you would help us live like you've called us to live. Help us to love as you've called us to love, that we'd love one another as you loved us, a love that is humble, a love that is sacrificial, and a love that is obedient to what you want us to do. God, that's our prayer today, that you would continue to build strong and healthy relationships, not just in this body, but in your body universal, right across between churches and between Christians. Even though we may have differences, we just pray that your love would unite us and that your peace would guide us. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.